the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, episode 29, recorded Thursday, August 21st, 2014. Finding a Tech Manager. This is EdTech, the monthly look at the education segment of the AV industry. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. Welcome. Uh, with us this month, Ernie Bailey from the UAMS in beautiful Arkansas. How are you, sir? I'm doing just great. Everything is wonderful here in Little Rock. Uh, also with us is Greg Brown from beautiful Southern California, UCLA. How are you, sir? Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello, Tim. Just fine. Uh, also from another sunny place, uh, Mike Brandis from Palm Beach Atlantic University. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. We'll talk about why he's 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 moving. We'll put we'll just put it that way. That's, a, that's what you call a teaser, there, folks. And holy crap, <laughs> the internet started working in Maine. <laughs> how are you, Mister Scott Tyner is from Bates College. Uh, how are you, sir? Good. Well, we we did. We started getting some T one lines in here just. <laughs> Just a few, just a few months ago. T ones, <laughs> holy cow! He got the got the ice knocked off of the uh, data lines in the it's last. It's August. Weeks. There hasn't been ice in Maine for at least three or four weeks. Come on. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Leave him on alone. All right. Uh, this month we're going to talk about a host of things. A couple products. Um, Actually, two of our guests have written pieces that we're going to talk about. Uh, also talk about consultants and, and how you deal with them uh, in the education space. Uh, but first, let's let's kick it off with um, let's kick it off with with the the product. I guess is the best way to put this. Uh, from the world of AMX and and uh, some of us, you know, actually, um, uh, well, what was it, about a year or so ago, um, a couple of us uh, from EdTech got a hold of an Innova uh, from AMX. I uh, got to play around with it. We, 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 at the college I used to work for, uh, Lewis and Clark, we were uh, primarily a, a Crestron house, and so I I'd never really messed with with an Innova. And it's, it was a neat box. Uh, the 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 uh, control was was interesting because it was a kind of an, a, a configurator uh, similar to if you're more familiar with Crestron, it was kind of like System Builder only only online. Well, they announced this week that their Innova line, their all-in-one boxes, have their newest, latest, greatest. Uh, processors, uh, which is interesting because the, the what this kind of led me to is the fact that there are some other uh, manufacturers who still don't have their latest, greatest uh, processors. So, uh, Scott, we'll start with you on this. Is there a thinking behind this? I mean, uh, good for AMX for doing this, right? Uh, the fact that, that w with this all-in-one box, it's, you know, you, you've got their most powerful processor. But then why wouldn't some other companies that that have all-in-one boxes not do the same thing is it maybe a, a manufacturing thing is it an engineering thing or is it simply the fact that they're not ready to roll that out uh you know the the truth is tim i i have, <laughs> I have no idea on this one i don't pay attention to amx at all I, no, oh, no, okay, so don't. No, no, not AM. The, the question is not about AMX. It's it's more about other companies who who do have all-in-one boxes, and yeah. do not have the latest processors in them. 
So why wouldn't those manufacturers do that? If they've got if they've got if they've got a processor that's faster than what they're putting in their in their current all-in-one boxes, why wouldn't they upgrade it? It's a good question, Greg. What do you think? Greg, what do you think? Uh, who, well, who specifically are you f referring to as not having a, a a processor in their boxes? I mean, uh, um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll say I don't. I'm not afraid of saying it. Crestron, Crestron's uh, DMPSs. There, those are oh. still the two series processors, right? I mean, I've I've heard rumors oh, of little, the three yeah, series just, processors, but I've not just, seen one. Last week, a little bird told me that uh, there's going to be a 3-series processor version yes. of the 300 in the not-too-distant future. Well, and that same little I bird was probably related bird. to your... Huh? Go ahead, Ernie. I said I heard that was in November. Of uh, this coming, year? Uh, okay. Uh, of this year is when we can really expect to see that uh, released. Uh, I think to answer your question, if you don't mind me... Thank you for in, answering. Is, <laughs> Why uh, start now? Well, exactly. Yeah, uh, they have a working platform. I mean, do you really want to upset that platform that's selling? Is I mean, yes, we want their newest, latest, and greatest, but I want a stable platform before I want a new platform. Okay. I want one that I know I can rely on, and then if they upgrade their processors and come out with a new box, great, but... I'm happy that they don't immediately change processors mid-run like we've seen other people do with products in the past. And 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 Ernie does make a good point because let, let's be honest, uh, those of us who have programmed DMPSs, uh, when you hit the compile button, you basically take a lunch break. Uh, it it takes a while to to compile. Um, so there, that may be some of that, right? We're trying to get all of that, everything that happens in that box to work to work nicely together. So. Uh, Mr. Mike, it's a, ch it's a change in the way we're doing things. I mean, I'd hate to, I'd hate to really give, give, Extron credit for for starting this because. Oh, go ahead. I, no, you can't oh. really. I don't think you can really compare the, the AMX and or AMX and Crestron systems to to, Extron systems, but they kind of started that of putting the processors, putting everything in the same box. You know, they. You know, Lord knows they had to, had to have something going for their systems. And that well, was... no, hey, Matt, when did they do that? Because I'm confused because I, I was always under the impression was that the, the MPS years ago, the analog version of the DMPS, was yeah. one of the first, uh, I think that even predates the Innova, uh, Crestron's MPS yes. with the analog oh, and everything. See, I didn't use those. Did those, those had processors inside? Yes. Yeah, yes. That, and that was, that was, a, that was, go ahead, Ernie. Uh, so, yeah, they did have processors. They were they were reliable. By the time we started using them, and we were very happy with them, but that was some of the first Crestron products we put in. Yeah, us too. So yeah, that yeah, was. But, okay. but you know, I mean, Extron did have their system processors. You know, their System Eight, their System Ten. Mm -hmm. That um, I don't know if you could call it a control processor, but they could turn a projector on and off. Yeah. Uh, and I believe may have had relays in them. Some of those System Five IPs might have had relays in them. But I do agree. I think yeah. that the original MPSs were um, were pretty powerful stuff. Well, and when I I, I wrote up when when Crestron, when an Extron released their what they were referring to as their all-in-one box, it wasn't. But when they initially announced it around ISE this year, one of the points that I, I made in, in my blog when I was I was giving them a hard time about it 
is, is exactly that, Scott. Their System 7, their System 5 stuff had 232 control and had relays in it. And they did that 10, 15 years ago. You know, so why on earth they couldn't have, you know, initially released uh, a processor in this, in that box is beyond me. Now, a month, two months later, they did say, hey, by the way, now it's embedded in, in, the, pro in, the, uh, in the box. So, all right. Well, now that you guys just totally poo-pooed that, that story. <laughs> Good uh, night. Um, let's just talk about flip classrooms. Uh, flip classrooms to me is it was the buzzword. It was it was it it, it they, somebody took uh, huddle spaces at this year at, at last year from last year's Infocom and said, "Hey, let's call it flip classrooms instead." Not really. Uh, this the, the idea of flip classrooms is something uh, from a, a pedagogical standpoint, if I can say that. Uh, has been happening in in education for a while, and the idea is this: is that you you watch the lecture, lecture or you consume the lecture outside of the classroom. You come in and you do the homework and uh, the class um, presentation and stuff like that collaboratively, right in the classroom. Mike, uh, Mr. Brandis wrote a very nice piece, and so we'll start with you on this. You name a couple products that uh, some of it came out at Infocom, some of it uh, came out before uh, Infocom, uh, but you name a couple pieces that are in your words, you know, not perfect, but in your words, work for uh, collaboration and, and flip classrooms. Name a couple of those and kind of give me the reasons why. Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, there's a ton of players in this space. You can talk about, you know, Barco, ClipShare, Christy Brio. I mean, you can talk to your blue in the face about a bunch of different products. But for education, you just want something simple, easy to use, easy to operate, that just works and offers you collaboration. So, you know, kind of some of the things I talked about for smaller rooms maybe where you have a ad hoc scheduling system or you know pure BYOD is the AMX Enzo uh, was a big winner very oh, yeah. small form factor tape it to the back of your TV give it a network connection uh, come in this fall it's going to have full support for uh, soft video conferencing just via a USB camera so it's kind of an all-in-one solution for you know your 10 to 12 person you know tiny conference room or, you know, add five of them to different, you know, pods in a classroom and, you know, you've done your entire, you know, space for, you know, three grand a box basically. And so that's, that was a big winner. Now, in terms of larger spaces where you want to have a full flip classroom and, you know, 20 pods with five inputs apiece, you're talking a huge matrix. And we're finally seeing, you know, the return of like massive matrix systems to higher education, um, you know, 32 by 32, 64 by 64, and both Extron and Crestron currently make one that's more than capable of handling the bandwidth associated with 4K at 30 frames. So, you know, those products work for higher ed right now. Um, FSR had a great, I believe it's called the Huddle View that they did, you know, displayed at uh, Infocom. That's a real winner. That's a piece of furniture built in. Yet, and you know, that's an all-in-one solution, literally start to finish furniture. All you have to do is just add displays. You know, that's all you're talking about in terms of making these huddle spaces or, sorry, uh, flip learning spaces <laughs> or any of the other buzzwords we want to talk about, you know, a reality. So it's kind of, you know, people are starting to design, you know, products in mind for smaller applications instead of saying, hey, you have to go with a huge matrix system or, you know, it, pretty much you can do that or an Apple TV. There's a lot of these middle ground things that are saving universities money and maximizing return because they're increasing utilization. Yeah, and that the, the Enzo actually uh, it came out 
not this Infocom, but last Infocom. It's a very neat little product. Uh, it's a very neat little product. And uh, it, it's, you know, this size here, I mean, it's, it's not very big at all. Uh, so the the space and the footprint on it is not is not going to impact yeah, your space. About the size of two Apple TVs stacked on top of each other. Yeah. It's not big at all. No. Perfect if you're doing just a display on the wall. You can mount it to the back of your display and put a wireless keyboard on your table. That's pretty much everything you need, especially with all of its cloud-based storage options. Yeah, that's been kind of cool. and one of the things it has is uh, was it Dropbox? Uh, if you if you utilize Dropbox, you can make a QR code and um, Put it up on the screen, and, and and students can scan the QR code and immediately go there and download your presentation. So, I thought that was cool. Uh, Ernie, when you're when you're designing, uh, flip, you know, uh, flip classrooms and that idea, or if you were designing one, uh, what are a couple of, of products that you have to have, or the types of products? I mean, you don't have to name you know manufacturer specific, but but types of products. Well, uh, I would be looking at some sort of small switcher. Uh, that can support, I mean, all of our rooms, we provide a, com a computer for the presenter yep. to use, but we also provide uh, some sort of input for BYOD so they can bring whatever they want. Uh, so those and a, and a good display, most of us, I mean, uh, earlier this week, Mike and I were talking, and, you know, when we do uh, any of these flip rooms, we're doing large ones that are able to do presentations and then break up into small groups and have have them working together at the same time so I'm not doing any of these small ones so I work with the large uh, matrix uh, that Mike mentioned a while ago and we just like to provide multiple sources or multiple places to bring in uh, whatever device the student may walk in with or the faculty may walk in with uh, Greg, are you guys doing, uh, ask this question first, are you doing flip classrooms yet? Not really, no. There's been a little bit of talk amongst some of the different groups. We, um, our, our problem is everybody tends to do things independently and figure things out on their own. We seem to like the, uh, the, the, the academic freedom of, of 200 departments heading off in 200 different directions and not talking to one another. So that's uh, that's often our MO around here. There have been a few attempts and some talk, but nothing particularly interesting to report that I've seen. Okay. Is there, is there, if, if you if you had to design one, are, are, what are some of the things that you think that you would need? I, I really have been looking for, um, been working with a lot of smaller departments. Uh, we, we will build, we, we do our own rooms, and then we will build rooms for departments, particularly smaller rooms, so that they don't have to go out with, to a, a local integrator. Um, yeah, you know, if they've got a ton of money and they're doing a bunch of rooms, they can, they can go work with somebody and, and pay them an arm and a leg. But we, we keep pretty busy doing smaller rooms for departments, and, and I'm hoping to find an application there where somebody's got a conference room or something where they just want to use one of these little boxes, and there are so many, like Mike said, on the market, you know, try out something like that. I think that would be a, a really neat thing to just find a, an application for here to to start to have some stuff like that here on campus so we can see them. I mean, it's it's really confusing sitting down and trying to read the, the tech specs for all of these little boxes at one time. Well, that's what your reps are for, you know, just bring, bring them in and just say, hey, you know, tell, tell me what the differences are. Yeah, unfortunately, there's no rep that reps every single one of those boxes. Well, that's true. That's true. Uh, Mr. So, Tyner, so they're they're all how shall we say uh, biased? No, not reps. 
Uh, Mr. Tyner, do you have do you have something to say about this one? I'm just busting your chops. Um, this here's the thing. One thing about Scott that, that that if you haven't listened before in a while, uh, Scott's very knowledgeable about pedagogical pedagogical. Say it for me, dude. Pedagogical. Pedagogical. Thank you. Um, systems and, and theories. That's it. Um, he's heavily involved in his local um, school board. He's heavily involved, obviously, in, in Bates College. So the idea of, of the flipped classroom, I mean, are, are we all kind of on the same page here, or is there something, maybe one or two products that we're not, we're not thinking of? I think that we're, we're on the same page, and I think that uh, what we're – I think what we often see is these ideas um, changing and growing over time. And I, and I really – when I think of these rooms, I think of what Ernie described in the sense of a, of a large room where a teacher can lecture, talk, discuss – and then students can go break off into their own and do group work, take that group work and present it up on a large screen for everybody to see. Um, you know, for me, I think the big thing that we're still missing and the thing that's going to be required here is that wireless piece, that easy wireless piece. And um, you know, we've done some a, a few little things. We, we've used Air Media, we've used Apple TV, we used Chromecast, uh, we use a, a thing now. Um, of course, I, I don't I can't think of the it's a piece Doseri, uh, which is which is a little bit different. It's a piece of software, but not one of them fits that. You know what you really need if you want to do this is it's just to whip out my iPad and in two clicks be presenting on the screen and and that's it and and be able to get a um, uh, a good feed that's not that's not jittery that the audio doesn't doesn't jitter on um, and I I haven't seen that yet. I think that's the real key. I think that. Um, and all the money we're saving on all the wiring and all the huge matrices can go um, back into some of that um, wireless stuff. So that to me is the real key. But I think that idea that Ernie had of um, you know a large room breaking up into smaller groups. We've tried a few collaboration tables around campus, and they just you know they don't get used at, at all because there's no I don't see any really used to it. Students would just rather sit around and turn their iPad to each other and look at it, but um, some of those other uses in the classroom, I think, are are definitely uh, the future. You you raise a good point, and I'm I'm going to ask you and, and everybody else here. I, the, every wireless system I've seen in demonstration, a lot of times it will work. It'll work flawlessly, and then you'll take it and you'll purchase it, or you'll get a demo of it, and you'll take it into your application, right? Uh, there's a specific situation I can I can think of again back to the days when I worked for the college that it was a great, it was a little dongle. It was, you know, a USB dongle. It had a transmitter. Uh, the computer used that and, and sensed that as an external uh, monitor. It sent over RF to, uh, to a, you know, a VGA or an HDMI receiver, and you plug that in, into the monitor. No big deal. On demonstration, it worked great. That was the best solution I've ever seen. Uh, we had several of those devices. They, they were VGA uh, they carried audio as well as the yes. the video. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Plugged into USB device, so it worked on any platform. Anything that had a USB connector on it, it would be seen as an external monitor. It worked with Macs, PCs. Uh, had somebody uh, connect it to uh, a Linux box, and it worked. Wow. Uh, this was before Android uh, was a platform, but uh, it was a real good solution 
when you needed a quick wireless connection to something. And it did all of its own configuring when you hooked it up. So Yeah, just don't put it in a in a building that's full of concrete. <laughs> I'm just that's yeah. That, that was the that, that was, was the that was the, the case where we found. What we found was uh, in an open space line of sight, I could do it three hundred feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there was a paper wall, it narrowed it down to ten feet. Oh wow. You know. Who whose was that? Who made that? I don't remember. It was a greenish-gray box. We had several of them, all by the same manufacturer. I can't remember who made it. I can't either. I can't either. Um, because, you know, like I said, once we get into, got it into our application, it didn't work for us, so we took it out and it, it landed in a drawer somewhere. And I, and I think that is, that's what we see you know, over, over and over again. And um, certainly, Ernie, it sounds like that was also before, um, you know, the iPads and, and many tablets right. came out. Yes, so now... it, it was before the iPads or tablets, anything like that. Uh, so it was great. You could set it up. Uh, if there was someone in the office, they needed to do a presentation to a conference room. Uh, and they had, you know, dedicated software on their computer they couldn't relocate. It beat running a 40-foot cable and taping it down along the doorways. Yeah, you know, and I, think, I think that my hope is that now what we're going to see is manufacturers start pro- producing things that really work because there's a real reason to now before, you know, before it was, oh, somebody wants to sit at that end of the conference table that they don't want to get up and walk to the other side to plug in. So there's not that huge demand. But now when we start talking about these flipped classrooms and interactive classrooms, there's going to be huge demand because it, it doesn't make sense to put 45 connectors in a room so every single person can connect. So I'm hoping that the manufacturers kind of start catching on to that and really, you know, we also, the other issue though is most of the time we're running over our own ethernet or wireless and, yeah. uh, you know, that's a whole nother um, issue that people have to deal with. Right. No, it is. Uh, all right, uh, Mr. Tyner uh, has has he's a, a blogger for Rave Publications and an interesting piece, uh, not your latest latest one because I just saw that you you posted another one because uh, so I, I grabbed this story before you posted your new one, uh, but I grabbed this and it, mainly because it's something that we've talked about a lot in in the two and a half three years we've been doing this show, and that is this. Um, Scott lives in. Maine. Let's be, you know, let's let's be be honest here. Uh, Maine is not the uh, you know the easiest place for some reps to get to. It's not an excuse. It's just in the north, you know, north east of of the country. I live in St. Louis, you know, and the college I worked for is outside of St. Louis. Uh, you would think it's centrally located, but we don't see a whole lot of we didn't see a whole lot of reps either. And you you got an, a, a response from uh, a rep from a company that I, that I actually I have a good rep from them, and it's Draper. Uh, Amy Madden of Draper asked you a question, and I'm going to ask the same to all of you, and we'll start with you, Scott. How do manufacturer reps find technology managers? Uh, it's something that, you know, it, I didn't think about, you know, in all the times that we've talked about this, is, is how do people, you know, who do this for a living, right? A couple of really good friends of mine are a rep. Michael Drainer is a, a rep for Sennheiser, uh, you know, are my Buddy uh, Kevin Iselli used to be rep uh, education rep for uh, for Crestron. You know uh, that was one of those things that I just never thought about. I just figured that they had a database somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so Mr. Tyner, uh, what was your response, or did you have a response for Amy when she asked you that? 
Yeah, I did have a response. It was, wow, that's a great question. Andy. <laughs> and I, I, uh, I didn't have a, an actual answer, and that's what that um, short blog I wrote was about, which is, you know, so you look at a company, let's say, Crestron, just because I, I happen to know that, you know, I buy something from my retailer. My name goes along to Crestron with that. They know that Bates College bought that. I'm not sure that that happens with every other place. So their question is, you know, I'm from Draper. There are, especially in New England, right, there's hundreds and hundreds of colleges there. Uh, should I just start looking through a directory and start calling people in the IT department until and get hung up on until I finally reach um, the one person that I'm supposed to talk to? How do I, how do I find you? Um, and so my proposal was there there's, should be some uh, opt-in database somewhere, whether the um, technology managers council, if we know anybody who's involved with that, they could look into doing something like that, um, you know, or or some publication do it and and, and uh, you know make make some money off of it somehow. But it was a great question and one like you said, Tim, I'd actually never thought of. And when she said it, when she said it, actually what I said was, wow, that's interesting because even at some of the schools down the street from me, you know, Bowdoin College, let's say, I I'm not even sure who my my colleague is over there. Yeah. So how would how would she find them, or her? Yeah, that, that that's a really great question. I mean, uh, the only play the only reason I know the the folks from WashU, which is in St. Louis and St. Louis University, is because they happen to be on on the Technology Managers Council. Uh, and if only we had you know the the chairman of the Technology Managers Council readily available to us. Oh, Let's look! See if we can get him on next time. There he is, Greg Brown. <laughs> wow, that was fast. Ah, uh, you know <laughs> I'm yeah. You know, the devil. I, I am I am old, but I am quick. Um, <laughs> we won't go there. How uh, <laughs> you know what? Um, how how do uh, how do manufacturers reps find technology managers? Oh, I thought you wanted to talk about the technology managers council. No. no. Um, how it's it's tough because um, it's it's tough on in in a sense on both sides of the street there are. People like everybody here who are out there and they're into social networking and they're doing the social media and they are writing, they're blogging, they're doing little webcasts, things like that. Most of us are reasonably easy to find. Um, on the flip side, there are plenty of folks in higher ed who, you know, there, there are plenty of, of, of higher ed places where AV is handled by some IT guy who doesn't understand AV and hates it and the last thing he wants to do is be bothered by somebody else in the AV field you know trying to sell somebody um, on the flip side you have um, you have reps and you have salespeople who man we've got one guy locally here who he, he could get on the phone with me six or nine months uh, after I last talked with him and he would remember everything we talked about. He would remember, you know, what projectors we liked, what projectors we didn't like. When he saw something, he could call up with, hey, you know, I know you really like to do this there at UCLA. This company just came out with this. Is that something to be interested, interested to you? And, um, and, and he just could, could target things so amazingly well, whereas most salespeople and reps aren't like that and frankly a lot of them basically don't do their homework and they don't look for people and they don't I got another guy here I could talk with him you know two weeks after I last talked with him and about a project 
and I'd have to explain everything all over again because it's like five minutes off the phone. Poof, it's it's Mr. Short-Term Memory Guy. He's remembered nothing about what I just explained to him. So uh, tech managers are all over the map and reps are all over the map, good and bad on both extremes. Yeah, and I would, I would agree with that. Uh, Mr. Ernie, uh, how would how do you how would you suggest people find you and and, and the tech well, managers? Uh, I think something at least uh, within this group we have in common. We've all written in uh, the various journals and online areas about AV. And when I've done that in the past, usually shortly after I have an article come out in a trade journal or trade magazine, I'll get calls from new reps, and they'll say. My boss read your article and said and asked me how much business we're doing with you. Wow. <laughs> well, funny you mentioned that, Ernie, because that's actually the first time I heard from my AMX rep after being here for four years was when I was on EdTech last time. It was like my boss saw the podcast, saw you were oh. we were talking about upgrading to digital and how far we were and go figure we're not very far. Um, and you know, I mentioned that. He's like, Well, we would like to help you get there and I'm like just from seeing me talk about how few rooms I have with digital signal. But here we go. Yes. Yeah. Well, like I said, that, that's how I've been found by some of them. Uh, and, you know, and I guess word kind of gets out after that point. And sometimes you'll be hit with an independent ref that represents several different firms in, in different uh, areas of the AV market. And then they'll share back with their manufacturers, and you'll start hearing more people that way. It, it has its uh, it has its disadvantages. I wrote that um, rather um, well. Somebody said scandalous two part series on uh, integrators there in uh, Infocom All Voices. What a year year and a half ago, and you wouldn't believe all the integrators that called me up and wanted to be my new best friend after that <laughs> happened. And, and we generally don't use integrators, and so. Those were always interesting conversations, and once they learned that there was no money to be made, they, you know, told me what they thought of, <laughs> in my opinions. <laughs> well, and Ernie brought up a good point, and that—that's the independent rep, right? Um, I think they're valuable. I, I really think they're invaluable because nothing yeah. against the the manufacturers' reps. Again, have really good friends who are manufacturers' reps, but those independent reps do something that. You get in, you get in with them, or you, or you get known by them, right? We have a, f a few here in St. Louis, absolutely. Uh, that that I've gotten to know over the years, and again, they, they give you a, a breadth of of products. There's one that um, that covers uh, well, he, he has speakers, he has he covers uh, Digico uh, boards, he does this, that, and the other. Really knowledgeable guy, really, really, really smart. Um, and again, it covers a bunch of different products and, and gets your your name and, and your uh, the face of your college in front of these various different uh, different manufacturers. So I, you know, I, I guess that would be the other thing is is find the independent reps. Um, they, they have an organization, I, and I, I apologize. I'll I'll research it and I'll look it up and I'll put it on the show notes. Uh, Marla Strassenberg uh, um, from uh, Sapphire Marketing turned me on to them because uh, she's a member of, of that organization. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, again, one of these things where if you want to get contacted by an independent rep, it would be a one, one aspect to go. Go ahead, Greg. They, uh, they also are some of the best shows. Um, I went to a table show with one mm -hmm. 
independent rep uh, last week, and I'm going to another one in like two or three weeks. And yeah, you know, little little tables, you'll have 10, 20, 30 different companies and uh, generally a free lunch. And, um, you know, it's it's really useful to have, be able to spend a couple hours and, and talk to all these folks in, a, in an environment, you know, so much different than what we've got at Infocom. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful uh, resource. Wonderful resource, absolutely. Um, Hello. Huh? Hello. Hey. <laughs> How you doing? Let's. We're going to mute Mr. Tyner there as he talks to someone. <laughs> um, <laughs> it sounded. It, it sounded like his wife, and that could get personal. So you know, I was going to say it didn't sound like his boss. No, no, it did not. Sound, well, well, maybe yeah, actually it could have been his boss. It was. Hey, you sexist little thing, you. That could have been his boss. I thought you were progressive. You're from you're from hey, California. No, no, no. It just sounded entirely too chummy for well, his. Well, it boss, did sound a little you know? chummy, yes. All right, but I, like I said, maybe in a sense it was his boss. Yes. <laughs> Is this mute button working now? Yes, you're you're on now. I'm on. How come this? Did, now am I on? Now you're on. Okay, so my mute button doesn't work. I thought I'd hit that properly. Well, I muted it for you, so there you go. All right. Um, I hung up. I hung up on my boss. I'll talk to the person later. <laughs> All right. Uh, Extron has a, a couple different schools, a, new, a couple of new classes. One is called the School of Emerging Technologies. This one is for consultants uh, and consultants only. So you lowly technology managers do not need to apply. Um, I could apply, but they wouldn't take my application because they won't give me the time of day anymore. Uh, but uh, the reason I brought that up. Uh, is is in my new role, right? I, I'm the director of operations for a company called Innovad. We're a design consulting firm as well as as for a uh, – we're also an independent programming house. One of my guys actually is working for Ernie. Um, yes. Interesting project. Uh, there's been some ups and downs this summer. Um, but Ernie and I were talking and about how you, you deal with, you know, get, getting into uh, how you handle um, design consultants from the education standpoint, Right. Uh, because there's been a couple of different there there are a couple of different avenues when you go down the holy cow we're going to spend five ten million dollars to build a brand new building road. One is, hey, I can do this right. Uh, I'm a technology manager. Let me handle it. Another aspect is to let the architect bring in somebody, and and another aspect is to get a an AV design consultant on your own. Um, from the college's standpoint, that's you know, who they hire. They become your uh, your liaison, your uh, your you know owner's rep when it comes to you know the 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 architect table and, and talking about the technology. Ernie, we'll start with you on this one. How do you think that that colleges should handle uh, interfacing with with design consultants? Well, I just I just went through this over the last uh, several months. Uh, I got money to upgrade three three of our lecture halls here on campus, and I had about a $250,000 room budget. And I said, we can do this ourselves. We know what we want. So we wrote up the specs of exactly how we wanted to be and put it out to bid. And the bids came in at about one and a half million dollars, almost double what I wanted. And it really surprised me. And I started talking to uh, some of the uh, integrators that bid on this project, because this was too big to be done in-house. And uh, they said, well, you weren't real specific in certain areas of your scope, so we had to plan for worst-case scenarios. 
So after that, we have a consultant uh, basically on retainer here at our university. We have a contract with him. I can call him, and he will give me a hour quote. You know, this is going to take this many hours. I already know how much an hour is going to cost. Well, I ended up paying him between six and seven thousand dollars to review and help us rewrite our request for proposals that we had put out. And you know, some of our academic people thought that was a whole lot of money to spend. Well, we put it back out and low bid for the exact same thing that we wanted. But after being reviewed and you know having guidance in writing the paperwork was six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Holy cow. Yeah. So I was not only well under what our previous bid had been, but one and a half million, I was a hundred thousand dollars under my proposed uh, budget that I'd set up. Uh, by spending six thousand dollars. Everything that we wanted being done the way that we wanted to do it, but the consultant knew how to word it better. Uh, to put it out to bid. So uh, I, that was, you know, what I did. And normally I would say, you know, if we're not building a 10 or $15 million building, why do we need to have a consultant? I mean, it's basic AV work, right? Yeah. Uh, for our, for doing two or three small rooms, something like that. And, you know, I think probably for our small rooms, I would still do that. But if I had another project like this, I would do the same thing. One other area where I use the same consultant, once again, we have a three-year contract with him, uh, we were designing a our big flip classroom we talked about a while ago. Yeah. And we we were on a real tight deadline. I did, we did it, you know, we did the complete design in-house uh, and then bid out uh, the uh, installation uh, to meet the timelines that we had. Uh, so I sent my plans uh, once again to the uh, consultant, and he reviewed it and he made a few comments. You know, you know, I would when you're drawing this section out, draw it out a little bit different, things like that. Stuff that made in, made sense in house, but he said if you're going to put this out to bid, do it. Well, we did. We designed it that way. We put it out to bid. It came in at just what we had expected it to, and it was designed, built exactly the way we had proposed it and it worked on the first try but having the consultant review it gave me a higher level of confidence in the system that we put out uh, and it validated our work to our bosses okay so I'm, I'm gonna ask the question like this how do you find then a, a good consultant um, and the reason I ask it and I ask it from a standpoint of I used to be a technology manager right and right. we had more than one AV consultant on our campus. Some were superstars. And some yeah. could not design their way out of a wet paper bag. So, right. so the question is, how do you find a good one? Okay. Well, the way we found our first one, or the one that we're using, uh, is uh, an architect actually brought him in for a project that had some AV in it. And the architect wasn't familiar with it, and they hadn't really worked with us that much, so they wanted to bring a consultant in to help coordinate that. And uh, they decided to add a digital signage system, so we'd never done 
anything like that. So I was very excited to have the consultant. Now, I will say when they brought the consultant in and asked me to come meet with them, they hadn't told me who it was. It happened to be a consultant that I have presented with at Infocom many times. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, I walked in and I knew the guy. We, you know, we've, we've been good friends and, and uh, colleagues for years. Yeah. But, you know, he was brought in independent of my recommendation. He was brought in by an architect. And everybody on campus was happy with him. So when we asked him to bid on a three-year contract, he was happy to do so. And see that that's good. Some of it is is I guess it comes down to personal relationships because if you yeah. just do a search for AV consultant, you'll find you know you know advertising and and you know you know listings for whatever, but you don't really know you know who you're getting until you do a job with them. So right, Greg, what would you uh, what would you say when it comes to getting a consultant in in your uh, in UCLA? How would you guys go about it? The the we don't tend to use them for what we do, the classroom projects. Um, they don't even use integrators. So. <laughs> That's you know, true. Tend to do everything in house. You know what can I what what can I say? It's better, faster, and cheaper. You know you can't argue with success. Um, the big projects that do use architects and consultants, um, a lot of times it's it's the it's the good old fashioned way. Higher ed does a lot of things. Lowest bidder. Right. And that explains a lot of the projects on campus, actually. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> and, and let me, while while we're on the subject, let me just say, you know, that this whole design of classroom process is full of all sorts of real, real big questions and minefields and decisions that have great big ramifications further on down the process. All of which will be addressed in the upcoming AV and IT infrastructure guidelines for higher education document coming out from Infocom this fall. Very nice plug. How's Very how's that for a plug? Nice. Yeah. Well, I I pissed them off this morning, so you I got to do something. You should good get today. a you should get a T-shirt. How <laughs> did you off. piss them off again? He says that every month. I know he does. <laughs> you be well, nice to them. Me. <laughs> you be nice to them. I'm I'm trying. I'm yeah. trying. It's just so it's just difficult sometimes. All right. There's God, still how help did you piss them off as, as the chair? <laughs> Me, I, I oh, never I never did. I, I didn't did either. But you know, the the reason that Greg can get away with it upsetting them is that nobody else wants to be on committees like the one <laughs> he just mentioned, so <laughs> he can do whatever he wants. This is, this is True, you know, I, I, you can't fire me. I'm a volunteer. <laughs> and, and actually, it was I, I did not piss them off on the tech managers council, at least not that I know of. It's, it's just with the, the, the standards committee. But never mind. Are you on the standards committee? Well, the, the document is through the standards. Oh, committee. okay. They're an intense bunch of people. They, 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 that they are. That they are. All right. Good night, guys. Ah, oh, what else do we got this month? Uh, anybody want to talk about the extra, the Crestron TCSCW seven thirty, the touchscreen control system, which I think has a processor inside. Well, that's the thing. That, that's kind of made. Yeah, it that's, the, that's the control system. That's the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never mind. All right, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, Scott Tyner from Bates College. Uh, thank you so much, sir. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm glad I was finally able to 
answer a couple questions. Well, you know, I understand. Took, you're busy. It took my mind a little time to wake up up in the up in the cold northeast. Yeah, cold. I'll trade you, dude. It's yeah. it's ninety and humid in St. Louis today. Yeah, I tell you, summers summers in Maine cannot. You can't. Uh, you they're worth it. You can't pass them up. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you and your and your musings? I uh, can either find it on uh, Rave Pubs or Rave Ed or Rave Digital Signs or on Twitter. Um, I'm always tweeting out either ridiculous or valuable things, depending on how I feel. And uh, occasionally on LinkedIn, although not all that not as not as much as Mr. Brown is. Well, no, he's got like ten thousand connections or something. Well, I mean, he's Greg Brown from UCLA. Well, it just seems yeah. to be where people will track. And, and he's a hundred. So when you've been around <laughs> that long. Uh, <laughs> he created LinkedIn. Oh, yeah, he man. created. <laughs> yeah, Moses was his first connection. All right, so, <laughs> oh, Mr. Brown. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry, I could have said something like Methuselah or you know, Adam. Oh, Adam, like yeah, Adam. <laughs> you first. Oh yeah, you're you're getting better. Keep going. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, where can people find you? uh linkedin apparently and <laughs> uh and i tweet and uh i i have been known to blog for infocom all voices although they're still holding my uh my post show blog uh hostage last i checked um for for having the audacity of mentioning company names um but oh well um, that's and, where. And you're also the Technology Manager Council Chair. And, and yes, the Technology Manager Council Chair, where if if Tyner would actually like to turn his, his gripe there into a project, we could actually submit it as a as a council project. What gripe was that? Huh? The the Where the, people find technology managers. Yeah, oh, I I think I did at one point. But anyway, that's another story for another day. Yeah. Probably when he was chair. So. We, no, we, no. I emailed Greg Brown about it a few months ago. <laughs> well, somebody's got I didn't, get, right, I, right didn't get a, I didn't get a response, so I thought I'd bring it up here. <laughs> well, we, we had another project we were working on at the time, and actually we submitted it back in May, you know, so maybe we would hear something back before the show, and we, we haven't heard anything on our initial council project proposal either, so... I have a feeling I'm probably the the phone's going to be ringing from from Fairfax any minute. I think. Well, I just want to be clear to all our Infocom viewers out there that <laughs> I love the organization Me and too. I'm, I'm very happy to participate in everything. It's just Greg that has the problem with it. Yeah, it's I, just I Greg. They don't have a problem with Infocom. They're just a little erratic sometimes. They're and, and they're not erratic. I think what it is is that you're from Southern California and they're from the Virginia, and you're all like. Oh man, whatever, cool, dude. And they're like, we have standards and structures, and <laughs> uh, that sounds like a standards committee. Um, so LinkedIn is that it? <laughs> In all voices. Um, you think? Yeah. Okay. Twitter. Av Greg, yeah. Av Greg. Yeah. All right. I'll uh, think of another before we wrap up and interrupt again. I'm sure. Do you, do you, you still have a MySpace page? <laughs> I don't think I ever actually I just got back on Facebook for the first for a few weeks ago for the first time oh, in wow. like years. Oh, my oh, All right, Mr. Yeah, Bailey. I'm up to like 20 friends on Facebook right I'll, now. I'll give you 21. Uh, Ernie, uh, where can people find you, sir? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Very good. That that uh, just works. 
Uh, and last but not least, Mike Brandis. Uh, this will be the last episode that he is able to be on uh, an AV Nation podcast uh, for EdTech as a technology manager because he is headed up to the great north and uh, he will no longer be a technology manager. Where are you going, sir? I am headed to Vadio, who makes, as we hopefully all know, fantastic cameras and uh, app-based video conferencing systems. So I'll be headed there early in September. And uh, we're going to do some fun things there. He's training summers for winters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm training, I'm training 11 months of summer for five months of winter. And I feel like that's a pretty good trade. That's only what they're telling you, Mike. Yeah, yeah. It, it's nine months of winter, dude. Nine months. Well, we'll don't see. don't hang on. <laughs> t- 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 yeah, don't don't use this last winter as a <laughs> as yeah. as your measuring Polar stick. vortex is not the normal. Yeah, side. this was not normal. <laughs> but you're go- Scott will send you his dog sled <laughs> and his snow boots or his snowshoes. Uh, Thank you. So you're going to you're going to Vadio as applications engineer. So congratulations to you there. Thank you. But where can people find you? Because you've still got your website, you've still got your Twitter and your, and your writings. Yeah. Um, I'm Mike Brandis AV on Twitter, MikeBrandisAV.com. I'm on uh, SCN's AVNetwork.com, writing there twice a month. And then I've got an article hopefully coming out soon in AV Technology Magazine. So I'm uh, all over the place. Uh, yeah, I don't expect that to change too much. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Uh, my name is Tom Albright. Don't follow my Twitter. It's just me and football and stuff, especially... Coming up the next week, go Bears. Uh, that's the other thing you've got going against you, Mr. Brandis, is you're up in freaking enemy territory now. Um, if you're not a football fan, Minnesota Vikings and, yeah, the, no, and the Chicago I, Bears. You are see, what, what you don't remember is my hometown, Tampa Bay Bucks, used to be in that terribly odd NFC Central division we used to play all you guys. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Because you guys used to be the AFC style. too, didn't you? Uh, uh, that was way before I was born. We were in the NFC Central when I was. Jeez, never mind. mind. That was when you were. That's when you were in your twenties, Tim. That, that, thank yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it must be nice to live in a city with an NFL team. Oh. Well, I see. Yeah, I, 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 I do live in a city with with, with an NFL team. Your NFL team. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'd like to live in a state with an NFL. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Hey Tim. Yes. Tim, let's talk hockey. Thank you very much. Oh jeez. Yeah. <laughs> I got right, nothing. We're devolving there. very quickly. I got nothing there. Speaking of buzz kills. Good for you. Good. Yeah. For, all I gotta say is good for you. You know. Um, so anyhow, uh, go by the website. Don't follow me. Avnation.tv. Avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Uh, we just did a state of control yesterday, so it'll post sometime this week. AV Week will not happen on Friday because we have a special guest this week on AV Week, um, Aviv Ron from uh, Kramer. Uh, he's coming to us live from Israel, so we're doing that on Sunday because of the whole time change. and Not time change, but the time difference. There's about a nine-hour time difference uh, between Central Time Zone, which I'm in, and, and, uh, and his time zone. So we're doing it on Sunday uh, if you want to watch that live. So that's what's coming up on AV Week this week. Uh, State of Control, uh, we just did a brand new DIY, Live Life, a ton of others. So go by the website, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been EdTech.